Welcome to the Prenda Podcast. I'm Kelly Smith, and I'm looking for the best new ideas in education. I'll be talking to all sorts of people about new types of schools, reinventing education, and helping kids love learning. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, welcome to the Prenda Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Jody Mord. And Jody is a life coach, blogger, and podcaster. She runs a great podcast called A Bold New Mom, which I found out about on a road trip. My wife turned on and she has been listening regularly to this podcast. I didn't know about it. Um, I, maybe the name Mom in there had tricked me, but um, once I started listening, I found that Jody offers all kinds of just insightful, practical help in terms of thinking about things differently and using that approach to uh, overcome the challenges that we face. Not just moms, but really everyone. So Jody, thanks for being here on the show today. Thank you for having me. I love um, I love when people get tricked into listening to it. <laughs> they they always like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was not. I'll just say I wasn't resisting. I was. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. it wasn't on my list. I just wasn't right. aware. But once I um, I got exposed to it, I definitely listened to more than one episode. So well, yeah, nice. Well, We'll show awesome. up see what that says. And I wanted to talk to you about this because I think uh, a lot of what you teach around, um, you know, thought and, and just creating things um, is really helpful in the world of education. So today we're going to zone, we're going to zone in on the question of what blocks are we accidentally placing on our children? Um, and that phrase, you know, that way I think to think about sometimes uh, it's, it's all, really well-intentioned. In fact, I think most of the time parents are well-intentioned, um, educators, teachers, school principals, the people who design public school in the first place. I don't think uh, this is some grand conspiracy, but I think there are times where it, it, uh, it adds up to something that's inadvertently not maybe what we, what we really would hope for, for these children, for our children. And uh, I want to explore that. But first, let's get into you a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about kind of your background? Um, what led you? I think it'll be interesting to kind of go through. I know you have children of your own, but what led you to the spot uh, where you are today as you work with so many moms? But like I said earlier, not just moms. Um, mm-hmm. right. And what kind of what brought you there and thinking about education in the process? Um, I actually started out thinking I wanted to teach, um, in public school, elementary school. So, um, you know, I did the traditional bachelor's degree and, um, my bachelor's was in journalism, but then I went through kind of a post baccalaureate, um, teacher certification program never ended up student teaching though. So I did all the coursework, all the exams, everything else. And then student teaching just wasn't fitting in my life at that point. Um, anyway, long story short, I realized over time that I do love to teach, um, but that I'm naturally better at teaching adults than children. And so I, I ended up as a corporate trainer, a corporate leadership coach. And now, um, you know, obviously I do this coaching in my own business um, because I felt like, you know, after spending many years as a corporate trainer and putting on these, or at least getting to help put on these amazing events where people would come from all over and get tools to be better at their job and, and some motivation and inspiration and a little bit of fun and connection. And then it would kind of recharge them to go back and do their jobs. And I thought, you know who needs that? That is moms. <laughs> you know who doesn't get that <laughs> is moms. 
<laughs> yeah. Talk about the connection piece of it. Cause I think that's really interesting. You found that you have all these people in corporate America working yeah. these jobs, but yet still feeling maybe unconnected yeah. or, or alone struggling with, with problems. Well, so originally as a trainer, I started out training salespeople. So they had their little teams, you know, that they worked with or whatever. But still, when we would pull all those teams together, even just for a day, it was maybe a hundred people or so and have, you know, the ones that were really excelling, share what was working for them and, um, and do like kind of teach you your job, but maybe make it a little more fun it was honestly, I could feel people just loved it. We'd get these surveys at the end of the day. And the only complaint was that they didn't like what we served for lunch usually. So we thought, <laughs> we're doing good if that's the only complaint. Right. So, um, so yeah, just, you know, it's like the, ch- it's kind of that state change, if you will, from your regular routine, yeah. just normal eight people that you see every day to some fresh faces, some fresh ideas, um, there's something to be said for that, I think. So that's what I'm trying to provide in different formats. Um, yeah. Women. Yeah. So, so talk about, you know, how that's been going with moms and what are kind of some of the surprises or some of the learnings that you've seen as you get them together in person, but I know you're doing a lot uh, yeah. remote as well. Yeah. I would say most of what I do is virtual and then I do some live events. Um, so we do it virtually, but still at this point in groups, um, so I think, you know, I'm trying to provide a space where it's safe to be authentically real, um, to authentically let down your guard and say, this is hard for me. I'm struggling with this. I'm not perfect at that. And, you know, ideally we would become all like that in our everyday lives a little bit more, but, um, it's definitely, you know, just hearing, oh, other people have this same challenge. They feel that same way. I do, even though we kind of logically know it. I think that, that really just, you know, many of my, my clients, because I have a, a really large group program. So I coach five people on each group call, but then there are hundreds listening in to the five people being coached. And so I can't tell you how many of them tell me that it's listening to the coaching where they make the most progress, where they're able to connect the dots because they don't have to be the one being vulnerable, right? But they can apply the tool as long as, as well as, like I said, hearing that, oh, other people feel this same way. Um, so really that connection, even though they're not in that situation, interacting, just hearing one another. So is it easier sometimes um, to kind of see it in someone else? So being oh, yeah. almost voyeuristic, right? These people are lurking in the background, listening to you coaching someone else mm-hmm. and they probably have the same issues, but, but maybe if you had addressed them directly, it wouldn't have gone as well. Or it would have been like, Oh, you know, back off lady. Like I don't necessarily want to. <laughs> well, and when it's your own thing, it's really is challenging to see, even if you're not offended, even if you're really open to it. Right. I heard it said once that you, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. And so it's almost like you're so entrenched in it and it is emotional. Yeah. That it's really challenging to see it another way. When you're on the outside, you see it differently and, um, but, but it, but you can apply then that same concept. Yes. Then to yourself. Hmm. So, so would yeah. you say in most of these coaching sessions, you're taking something that is a, an obstacle or it's impeding someone's forward progress mm-hmm. as a mom or as a person. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, here's, you know, and here's how I think you could fix that. And, and oftentimes, at least from the little bit that I 
that I know that the answer is in between the ears of this person, right? It's, it's like, yes. this is in your own brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. How does that, I mean, how does that work? And, and second question, how did you even get to a point where you can diagnose and, and find that? I know that must've taken yeah. a lot of practice or maybe you were just yeah. born with it. No, I was definitely not born with it. I was taught, I was taught it by um, most of it by Brooke Castillo, who who runs the Life Coach School, and she created this model that I teach okay. um, my clients and I talk about on the podcast a lot. That makes it more linear, and then yes, lots and lots of practice and, okay. and lots of um, learning from my mentor. So there's really rarely something I've heard that I haven't coached on or heard coached. But even if even if that does happen, I can plug it into the model that she's created. So yeah, in answer to your first question, um, so we're looking at the result in your life. So maybe the result is a problem. Maybe it's that I ha- I'm, I feel disconnected to my husband or something, right? Maybe it's a problem we want to solve. Or maybe the result is just a result that you want to take up a notch in your life. Like maybe the result is... Um, we make X number of dollars per year and I want to make 10 times that. So any result, you put anything you want in the result line, right? Mm -hmm. And then we go to work figuring out how to create that result. And yes, in answer to your question, it always lies in what's happening in our brains. So if I believe that I'm going to make 10 times more than I've been making, odds are I will make that happen if I genuinely believe it. And I'm operating from the emotions of fulfillment and pride and gratitude and all those emotions I think I'll have once I make that money. If I'm operating from those emotions and I have the thoughts that I think, like we talk about being your future self and uh-huh. operate as her, and then you become her. And so that's true, again, whether I'm trying to up-level some part of my life or solve a problem in my life, it always comes down to what you're thinking, just creating your emotions, just driving all your action. Wow. Okay, so, so this was good. I'm glad we got, had a chance to do sort of Jody in a nutshell, yeah. bold new mom in a nutshell, because I think that's awesome. So yeah. now I'm, my, I'm going to be a little snarky with my next question, which is you yeah, obviously that. learned that in high school, right? Like you got that from public Totally. School. I knew that all growing up. No. <laughs> there and was like life coaching reasons. 101 and right? as a ninth grader that everybody takes. Anyway. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I like focusing on moms too, is because they influence their families so yeah. much, right? In their communities. And so, yeah, no, we don't get taught this growing up. Um, although I hope we will more, I will say that I've done some coaching with, um, younger kids, teenagers, and it's a little bit different. I'm able to teach them these tools, but their brains are still developing to a certain extent. Interesting. I'm not even fully educated on what that means. (laughs) I just know that their personalities are still developing, right? Like they're, they say that your brain is the most neuroplastic up until like your early thirties. Yeah. So meaning you're still forming what your beliefs are about yourself and the world and your, your personality is still forming. Right. So it's a little bit more challenging to coach them directly, but certainly teaching them these tools is really powerful. I do teach them even to my young kids. Um, Talk about that a little bit. I I think people would be really curious like what does a bold new mom's like interaction (laughs) with her son or daughter like oh my poor kids 
<laughs> no. Just give us, give us like an excerpt. Cause I think it'd be cool to just sort of like see, and it, it'd be great if it was a real situation, but it, oh, I'll, I'll make one up for you if you want a fake situation. <laughs> I can, yeah, I can solve yours too. But um, no, so I have, my oldest is 11 uh-huh. and then I have a 11 year old, 10 year old, four year old, two year old. Awesome. So, young kids mostly, um, but all, all ranges there. And so it really is a a correction in the language. So one of the things that is natural for us is to give the credit for how we're feeling to things happening outside of us, right? right? Like, like my child made a mess and I was so frustrated or my sister hit me and I was so mad. Asher made me mad. That's my son. Asher made me mad. Right. (laughs) And so when, if my son says he made me mad, I correct his language. I say, well, he can't actually make you mad. Your own thoughts make you mad. Right. If you want to be mad, you can. Right. It's fine. I get mad sometimes too, right? Like we're all here. I'm not trying to take away their emotions. I'm just always giving them the credit for how they feel in those little changes in their language. And, and now to the point that they know my older two will correct one another when they hear the other <laughs> But it doesn't mean their brain doesn't still believe that, right? Yeah. On some level. Like mine still does, even though I know it logically. But I'm always trying to g- allow them to keep the accountability for how they're feeling because it gives them all their own personal power. So you know, my daughter, um, a couple of years ago came home crying about the boy at school who had bullied her, you um, know, and the mean things that he'd said to her and she was emotional. I'm like, he's not even here right now. And you're ma- you're giving him all the power over how you feel. And you can do that if you want to, but if you don't want to, you also don't have to, because you have all the power over how you want to feel. Right. So it's those little subtle teachable moments that I'm trying to correct, you know, what they're hearing from most of the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So I told you before with the show, but I'm in the process of designing a school. We're starting with middle schoolers. So it'll be kind of fifth through eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't have any curriculum set up. I got around. some for you. <laughs> <laughs> but a framework would be great, right? And then and yeah. just having a um, having this an explicit part of of mm. the way you operate. One of the things, and, and I think we can kind of transition this a little bit into, you know, edu- educational um, endeavors, right? So mm-hmm. my goal as a eighth grader, well, I, I think it's, it's one issue that I don't even have a goal, right? It's you tell me the goals and yeah, I, um, I sort of check the boxes. Um, who, who's going to get engaged and excited about that? You know, nobody for the most part, there's people that really like, pleasing others and maybe they're, they're happy to check those boxes. Uh, but okay. So let's assume, let's forget that part of the current system and okay. say, okay, I've got an eighth grader that has chosen a goal, right? And maybe the goal is I'm going to, um, you know, I think, um, taking care, I think taking care of people's teeth is really interesting. I, my uncle's a dentist and I think that's cool. So I'm going to spend, you know, this semester, really digging into dental care, right? So I've picked mm-hmm. a project, I've, I've started, I've d- dug into it, and now I'm going out and, um, you know, I'm, I'm like talking to dentists, I'm researching the science of the anatomy and understanding what bones are made of and how that all works. I'm learning engineering around, you know, pulling teeth. I'm starting to do all these things, right? But I mean, anywhere along the way, you could get derailed because it's like, oh, I just got to physics and this is hard, right? There's, there's math here. Uh, this math 
is too hard for me. I like, I can't figure that out. I'm not a math person. And, and maybe I'm tempted at that point to kind of pull back or give up or, or not take that kind of additional risk, I guess. Is that, I mean, is that a way to, to think about this? Yeah. I think that for some reason we all have this belief that when I'm pursuing my dream or what I'm supposed to be doing or what I was at one point excited about doing, that it's going to feel good mostly. Mm. And then if it doesn't feel good, that's a sign that maybe I should turn back. Maybe I've gone the wrong way. And I like to teach my kids that your brain is supposed to keep you alive. That's its main function, right? <laughs> so it does that in many ways. But one way is that it wants to seek pleasure and avoid pain uh-huh. and do what's, what it's always done, conserve energy. Those are the three main things. I have a whole family home evening lesson series I've created on this. So this it's great. Yeah. So if you just know, of course, my brain is going to want to do what's fun and easy, not do what's hard or painful and, and not do anything that will challenge it too much. But that doesn't mean I should turn back, right? So the truth is pursuing a goal, any worthy or amazing noble goal in your life is going to require hard. It's going to require painful. It's going to require all kinds of negative emotion. Right. And the more you're able to tolerate negative emotion, the more success you will have in your life. Because negative emotion is the currency for achieving your dream, right? Sounds like you've said this before. This is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, a few times. (laughs) So if I'm working on becoming a dentist, like it's great if in the beginning they're excited about it, great. I like to tell them, you're not going to feel that way always. Yeah. (laughs) Sure going to come to a time where you're going to say, wait a second, this is too hard. I don't know how to do this. Maybe I don't want to be a dentist anymore. Maybe I don't, right? Your brain will try to sell you that all day long because that's what your brain's supposed to do. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you can never change your mind, but just like your reasons for it and expect that that's going to be part of the journey and expect that your brain's going to, in an effort to protect you. Right. tell you you're not good at this you shouldn't do it that's so knowing that's coming is is obviously helping equip you against it i was thinking of um i'm trying to think of what other things we can give them to sort of prepare right we can tell them okay there's going to come a time in your future like Mm -hmm. my son is 13 almost 13 Mm -hmm. he's been coding with me since he was six years old so he was Mm -hmm really a pretty good little computer programmer. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, I want to be a game developer. Well, recently he's been starting to learn databases and there's SQL queries and there's some things, things in there that aren't coming as naturally easy to him. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, and and I don't know where he's at on this today. It kind of varies day by day, but there's definitely been times where it would be good to sort of have at least a little bit more, even knowing, and we talk about this, like there, there's going to be times where it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking of like shortcuts or, or rules, not shortcuts, but sort of rules in your head. And one of the things that um, I heard on a podcast a long time ago, which I thought was really profound. I mean, at the time I just heard it and I was like, oh, that's nice. But it was, um, it was somebody who was talking about running and how um, you never make a decision to stop running when you're on the uphill. So basically like if you're, if you're like in an easy part and things are okay, then it's like, okay, maybe I'll stop here. But if, if it's uphill, it's like, yes, this is hard. Basically I've already eliminated the possibility of quitting because of those. You see what I'm saying? So it's like a, yeah, I love that. a hack against your own brain, like understanding that yeah. about you. Yeah. I kind of teach it. That same concept is, um, 
if you're going to quit or change course, like I said, what are your reasons and do you, are they fear-based reasons or do you like your reasons? So if your reason is like, I think I'm done with this. I think I've learned what I want to learn here. I think I've given what I need to give. And there's this other thing that I feel like is my next thing. Great. But if it's, this is so hard, I don't know if I can do it. This is so scary. This is so overwhelming. Do you really like that reason? Or do you want to power through the hard? Do you want to be able to say, I could do that hard thing. I did it. And then decide. I love the analogy, right? Once you're at the top of the hill, then you decide. Yeah. Then it's still fine to say, okay, that was enough of a run today. I'm going to go. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But you're what I did. I ran up that hill and it builds your confidence. Um, It'll help you in the next thing you go to do, right? Having accomplished that part. So yeah. That's so helpful to hear you. I'm just laughing because I sometimes listen to um, comedy on the, on the, in the car Uh and uh, Jim Gaffigan's one of my favorite comedians who said, uh, he's talking about like delivering, um, delivery food. He's like food delivery combines two of my favorite things, eating and doing nothing. (laughs) And I I mean, going back to your brain, right? Like this is uh, what our brains are. It's not an accident. That's what they want to do. Yeah. (laughs) Conserve energy, like relax. (laughs) Little, little side. Well, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. And I want you to imagine um, a coaching session now that you're doing with some kids, right? Like let's pick your 10 and 11 year old and some of their friends. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that you have millions of other kids listening because that's the way, you know, we like to have it with the the lurking audience who can benefit from it. Um, sorry, your audience probably does not want to be referred to as lurkers. Is that that (laughs) offensive? All right. (laughs) They're listening though. And they're learning from it because they're making applications. Um, and, and they're dealing with, um, a variety of issues, right? It, it might be, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the common ones that I get when I talk to kids. Um, school's boring, right? It's, it's boring because I already understand it. And so I'm being kind of limited in my progression. It's boring because I don't get to choose what I want to choose. It feels constrictive because um, I'm, I'm just imagining like a table of, of, you know, 10 and 11 year olds talking about these yeah. things. Right? I didn't get to choose what I was going to study. I had to write this thing. And therefore I talked to a 10 year old yesterday who was, his mom was complaining that he spent, um, you know, five minutes on the standardized test writing portion. They gave him 90 minutes. He spent like five minutes and I asked him and I was like, well, you know, how come you decided to do that? He's like, I just thought the thing was stupid. I didn't like what they were. They gave him a prompt to write about and he just, you know, he could have written a great, a great thing and got a great score, but he didn't care. Right. And then you've got another kid who says, this is all way too hard. Everyone's smart. I'm an imposter. I can't, you know, I can't do it. Maybe they don't use the word imposter as a 10 year old. Maybe they do. So (laughs) let's kind of just like riff on this a little bit. Like what does that kind of coaching session look like? And in the process, you know, I want to identify some of these blocks that uh, our children are acquiring. Now, whether we're causing them or not, I think there's probably things that we could do to uh, alleviate them or help coach them through you know, through some of these, these blocks in their minds. Okay. Well, I'll start out by saying one of the things I love about what you're creating and the model that you're creating in education is, you know, in my world of self-help, they just use different words <laughs> to describe what you're saying. <laughs> um, so we talk about operating in the, the zone of flow, if you will, right? Like Oprah calls it, being in flow. And so the idea is that if you're doing something that's really far below your skill or interest level, 
you're likely to feel bored. Right. If you're doing something that's way above your natural level or what you've learned yet, you're going to feel overwhelmed. But right in the middle is that ideal zone, right? Where it's like just enough challenge to be exciting and stimulating and interesting, but not so much that your brain wants to shut down. And that's when you're operating in your zone of genius. And so that's what I love about what you're creating is when you give kids options and they can tell you, this is what I'm interested in. And this is about where my skill level is. And they're going to, they're much more likely to excel, right? When they're operating in that zone of genius. Um, So I think I would, you know, with kids, I like to teach them stuff like that. I like to teach them about their brains. One of the things I find when I teach them about their brains is that it empowers them, but it also helps them separate themselves from their thoughts. So they can start watching their thoughts. So even like with my four-year-old, I'll use an animal. I'll say, well, there's just a monkey in there. You, it's like there's a little monkey in there who gets all upset whenever anything's hard or, or when he doesn't get the toy he wants or he gets so worried and scared that mom's going to leave him, you know, at the nursery or whatever. But can you just tell the monkey everything's fine. Mom always comes back. And so it's like they're watching their thoughts without yeah. re- they're separating themselves from their thoughts. With my older kids, it's more just like your brain wants to do this. Your brain wants to do that. Um, so I think, you know, if they're telling me school is really boring, I will point out to them, well, that's just the way you're choosing to think about school. When you choose to think the thought school is boring, how do you feel? when it's time to do your schoolwork. Yeah. You dread it, right? Um, Same when you think it's super hard or I don't want to write about this topic. Then how do you feel? Now, I also am not a big fan of like, let's flip it to its complete opposite. Like school is so fun because they don't believe that. Right. It has to be a believable thought that will generate a more useful emotion. Right. And useful emotions don't always necessarily look like fun. That's what kids think everything should be fun. And we, I think we have been to Chuck E. Cheese. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Was it fun? That's always the first question. Was it fun? Did you have fun? So I'm trying to paint the picture for them that life isn't all about fun, Right. but determination might be a useful emotion. Commitment might be a useful emotion. So can you think, you know what, this is kind of boring, but I'll do it anyway. It's worth doing anyway. I'm going to see how well I can do, like make a game out of it. You can even make it fun, right? But I want to see um, how well I can do on this thing that isn't coding because I would much rather be doing coding, right. but I need to do this. It will serve me to do it for some reason, even if it's just mom told me I should because uh-huh. I don't understand the long term. And can I get to commitment and determination rather than just boredom or dread or one of those. Yeah. Okay. So let's give the parents listening a really useful, uh, a useful tip from this podcast. Okay. Instead of when my kids come home from school saying, was it fun? Give me a question that we should be asking. So instead I say, tell me about your day. Okay. And when they say, well, you should all say it was fine. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I've heard that. Fine. Fine. (laughs) <laughs> but try, or it, it's more like when my, my daughter comes home from activity days, uh-huh. it was it fun. If I say that, I almost always get the same answer. And it wasn't really very fun. And then I have to go back and correct myself and say, 
Well, that's because it's not fun. You have to choose to have fun or not. Right. And it sounds like you didn't. So that's okay, <laughs> right? But, so fail. But, um, anyway, instead of it was fun, I'd like to make it just more open. Tell me about it. How Let's was talk it? talk about it. So just process yeah. it. And yeah. usually they'll just say fine. And I just leave it at that. They don't want to talk right in that moment. So that's uh-huh. fine. But I have to be careful about not trying to paint the picture that everything should be fun. Interesting. Okay. That's really helpful. Yeah. All right. And one of the things that I thought of as you were talking about your four-year-old and this process of sort of separating out, and you said, imagine an animal or something. Yeah. Um, I was shocked to find this out, but one of the things in my computer programming background, and I'm sorry to go all nerdy on you here, but um, <laughs> being able to talk through like your logic and your thinking of something, mm-hmm. there's a lot of... Um, programmers who will actually get a teddy bear or something, some kind of, it's often funnier really? than a teddy bear, maybe like uh-huh. a weird alien or, and, uh-huh. uh, or, you know, something, but they'll, they'll set it next to their computer. And when they're stuck on like a, a problem, that's particularly technically challenging, they'll actually start explaining it to the animal that's like sitting oh there. Gosh, so I it's a way that. to sort of articulate that thought process. Right. And, and I think it does remove emotion out of it in some way. There's like I don't know if it's a, a trick, but I've encouraged some of the, the kids as we've been helping kids learn to code, you know, to do the same thing. It's, it's pretty interesting to watch. That is fascinating. Well, and coding is like such a left brain logical, I would think linear yeah, it can problem be. solving, right? I'm yeah. sure there's also some right brain creativity and all uh-huh. of that. But to be able to kind of tap that other part of the brain when necessary too. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. I love that. All right. So we've got these kids. We've taught them that it doesn't have to be fun, that uh, there's things that are actually better than fun. Right. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I have this. Um, I feel like I've taught this a few times at home where it's like you guys will someday regret that you did not opt for. I'm saying to my own kids, opt for these vegetables. Like I'll make some <laughs> spectacular thing with like there's this Brussels sprouts with like the bacon in it, you know, and uh-huh. the mustard and balsamic. And it's like, you guys are missing the opportunity to taste something delicious and they just won't even, you know, won't even try it. So it's similar, right? right? It's like yeah, someday yeah. I'll just keep saying it. Someday you guys will believe me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just honestly, and I used to think, well, I don't even know if they're getting it. And then I'll hear them, especially mm-hmm. as they get older in little subtle ways. You know, my son came home from school saying my teacher um, was telling us all about how we should, um, we should behave because if we're smart, we'll want, we'll want to make her happy. And he said, he's a really respectful kid. So luckily he didn't say this to me. <laughs> in my mind, I was thinking, we can't make you happy. Your right. own thoughts make you happy. And I was like, that's right. And at the same time, I teach him that he's respectful, right? And right. all of that. But yeah. he sees it even in other people now, just because yeah. he heard me talk about it. Um, oh, it's just everywhere. It's, it's one of these yeah. things that, so how often, how much of your time is spent almost unlearning things that just like maybe people just get false conceptions. They just pick it up along the way. It's never on purpose. (laughs) No, it's not on purpose, but honestly, um, once I find this to happen all the time with myself and my clients is that once somebody shows you a different perspective on your problem, and once you genuinely see it, those are the really fun moments when I'm coaching, when I can see like their brains fighting back against it a little bit. They're like, wait, what? Um, For example, when I coach people on making decisions and they're trying to make the right decision. And what I'm teaching them is it doesn't matter. The decision is the circumstance. You're going to make it right or not. So yeah. as long as you look at some basic 
things, you know, yeah, and just go with it. And it's what you think about it. That's going to make it right or wrong. And, and when they finally are like, wait, Oh, so it's really can happen in an instant. Um, yeah. If the evidence is strong enough, you know, to disprove what you've been believing all these years and it can just shift the trajectory of things so much that I love that. And, I, and that's why I do love the idea of teaching this to our kids, you know, in the schools and in the homes in little ways to get them already a little bit more on track in certain areas. It's really powerful. I, when you describe it happening suddenly like that, I think of a particular instance in my, um, in my childhood. So I have, I'm the oldest in my family. I have a younger brother that's pretty close in age to me. Mm-hmm. And like many older brothers, um, I would beat the tar out of this little brother. I mean, just <laughs> mercilessly. Um, we would fight just almost every day and it, it invariably followed the same pattern. It was my little brother uh, knew exactly how to drive me crazy, which of course he can't do. Right. I didn't know that at the time, but he did things that often led to me, your brain <laughs> led to <laughs> thoughts that then led to feelings and emotions and actions that the action often was, um, him teasing and me beating and then mm-hmm. him crying and me getting in trouble. And mm-hmm. I, I remember sitting, I'm just so angry sitting in my room, just furious and I'm, you know, fuming for a while. And my father comes in and he's, he's cool, collected, you know, it's been a while and I'm still mad. And, um, you know, but, but I'm ready to at least talk about it. And he says, um, why do you like, why do you think he does those things? Cause I'm, ta- I'm talking, of course, immediately, like he did this, he did this, he did this, uh-huh. all these things that like, I didn't have a choice. The only option for me was to right. just beat beat his face, which <laughs> it's funny <laughs> to like, you, you can laugh at yourself now, but at the time, like it was good sound reasoning, right? It's like, right. I, there was nothing I could do. Um, and then he said, well, why do you think he does all those things? And I said, because he hates me. He wants to like, drive me insane and he wants me to get in trouble and he's like well let's forget about all the rest of that but like maybe he does want you to get in trouble like what would happen if you didn't react at all to what he's doing and it was like the first time it like hadn't occurred to me that that was a possibility that's an option it came shattering through and he's like what would happen what like what would happen if you just didn't do anything and I'm like, he would just do it forever. But even as I said it, I was like, no, like no way he would do it forever. And I was like, I think he might just stop. Like he might just give up. And so the next time, like I just ignored it. It was like three minutes or something of like ignoring some, it was hard to do. I mean, I'll just right, say right. as all of us have experienced as siblings. Right. But, um, he just quit and moved on. And my dad just kind of looked at me and I looked at him. It's like, Whoa, you know, like this is, it was just one of those things where I just, I couldn't see it before. And then all of a sudden I was probably 11 or 12, you know, and, um, you know, it hit me. That's, I was awesome. It's cool. I see that a lot, even in adults, right? It looks less dramatic usually. Yeah. Uh, there's not as much it, violence. Yeah. Hopefully. It's not as violent, hopefully, <laughs> uh, in most cases. But it's it's that what you're describing is that mirroring of the emotion, right? Like your little brother's angry and then you get angry. And then you're supposed to stuck in this spin. And that's natural for us. Like even in a loving way, like my kid is worried and then I'm worried. Or my husband's stressed and now I'm stressed. Right. And But it, it keeps us stuck in that cycle like you're talking about. And and uh, when you recognize that and you're like, oh, there's another option. My husband could be stressed and I don't have to be. Yeah. Like, it's totally fine that you're worried. I'm not. Everything's good. Or, right, like you change the dance that you're doing in a marriage or with 
child or anything else. And suddenly it changed, like the music changes. Yeah. And it's, yeah. This is great. So I, I initially was trying to, as I thought about how this conversation would go and I'm thinking from the perspective of educators, like yeah. what, what we can do for the kids to free their minds. I think uh, as we've talked, um, maybe the bigger thing is just getting to where, we're freeing our own minds, you know, and, and maybe any system could, could be fine. Right. In the, in the regard, I do, I still think that it's cool to innovate and let's do some good stuff with education and I'm going to keep working on that. Mm -hmm. But I think I'll catch myself talking about, you know, the results and the impacts that a poorly designed system will have on children. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's maybe not true. Like you said, right. There's, um, yeah, there's lots of room for, um, things being hard and kids choosing to uh, grapple with that. Uh, Those skills have helped me a lot. Well, and the other, I don't know if you're familiar with Carol DeWick's um, work on mindset, but with... with Oh, Zwick, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. mindset. Absolutely. We talk about growth mindset all the time. Yeah, that's really the one that comes up the most for me when I think about education and our kids is that that whole growth mindset, and um, which goes along with you know, like being able to fail at times. When my kids bring home their grades, my, my son just brought home his midterm, you know, status report. And I say, where are all the D's and F's? And he laughs. And I'm like, I'm just, just want you to know, I'm so proud of you for all the hard work you're doing. But sometimes in life, it's not going to go this way. Sometimes <laughs> you're going to fail and that's okay. As long right. as if your reason for failing is that you don't know it yet, you tried something big and scary, that's a great reason to fail. If your reason for failing is that you didn't try, that's a different story. But I'm trying to always overcome that fear of failure and everything. And it's almost like that's built in uh, to a lot of the experience, right? Is, I mean, you're, you're the one mom in a million that's talking to their, encouraging their children to get a D, right? But I think everyone else is saying it better be an A, it better be an A. You know, it's like, this is high stakes. You got to go to Stanford and we got like, we got this whole life ahead of you. I think, um, I think that has led to enormous pressure. I mean, you talk to teachers and it's like, yeah. I, can't, I feel like I can't make it hard. I've got to like basically right. reduce the risk on the whole system to something that's, it's almost insulting. Like it's, it's almost patronizing, right? Cause it's like, here, we're going to let you play in this little, this little walled garden. And yet, you know, the kids know that there's this, this whole bigger world out here. We're just not letting you out because we're afraid for you. Yes. that you might fail. And I do believe it's those hard experiences. I feel, I feel like when I go to parent-teacher conferences that the teachers are almost trying to prove themselves to me, right. like prove to me that they're doing everything they can for my child, which I, I so appreciate, but I want to be like, you don't have to prove anything to me. Like, I appreciate what you're doing. I already right. think you get a, a soft seat in heaven for doing <laughs> what you're doing. Right. Um, I I'm okay with my kids going through some hard things, right? You know, like this level hard in suburban America is fine and good. And that's how they're going to grow. And again, it's the hard that creates success in life. And maybe a little harder would it be even be okay. Yeah. I mean, to your point, you don't want them to get a D just for the sake of the D. What you want is your child to experience something that's difficult. Yeah. And what I told my son is like, maybe we should move you up a grade. Seems like this one's too easy. Yeah. You know, and I'm half kidding, but I'm trying to reinforce that idea for him that you should, it's great to challenge yourself and go big. And that sometimes means failing. 
So I talked to you about this before. I'm starting a new school. I have my inaugural classes starting in January. So mid-semester. So exciting. It's coming right up. It's happening, yeah. We have 10 kids that are going to be coming to my house and sitting around a table. They're in different grades. So a lot of the fun is they'll be able to take on the challenges as as they're ready for it. But um, it's been real interesting as we talk about this fear. um, And the fear, I think we're almost more afraid of our children taking a risk than we are with ourselves taking a risk in, in some ways, right? We project yes. it. Um, I've had lots of conversations with parents, right? Moms and dads. And it's like, well, what about, you know, how does this transition into the, the volleyball team at the high school or what, how does this get them into college or, you know, different, there's, there's basically this, this model in our mind that there's a safe escalator that will get right. them to life success. Right. right. And it's like, as long as they're on that escalator, right. yes, there's a lot of wasted time in the day. Yes. They're inadvertently picking up bad habits and um, maybe not getting the mindset that we want, but at least they're on the escalator. Right. And right. so it's, it's terrifying for these people. And I, I totally empathize with them. In fact, we are, even though I'm the one starting the school, we're, my wife and I are having this exact conversation at home. It's like, do we do it? Do we pull them? Like, do, do we take our kids out of a decent, you know, good public school? I mean, greatschools.com, it has a good rating. It's like mm-hmm. people, you know, get good test scores. There's all these things. It's like, that's safe. And yet here we are saying, well, what if, what if we let them do a lot more, right? What if we give them and, and, and give them much more autonomy over it too? Like you choose and, and um, anyway, it's, it's scary, right? Yeah, totally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> What if we fail? Yeah. What if these kids don't make it to whatever, right? But I think what you're describing is so just, you know, I remember in in the elementary ed classes, I was taking the ones that stood out to me were exactly what you're describing. I remember reading about a teacher that even let her kids choose the class rules and she had like first or second graders. And so the rules were um, like no smoking, no throwing books at the lights, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> crazy rules. But when you have feel ownership in what you're doing, right. what they're all going to follow those rules and they're, it's going to be much easier to hold them accountable right. and to, to your point for their learning experience um, to be aligned with what they're interested in and, and where they can be challenged is just, I think an amazing gift to give them. That's fascinating. I wonder how scared, how scared she was the first time she did that. You know, like I'm going to let first graders make the rules. <laughs> no throwing books at the lights. Well, that's a good rule. That's I need a good to, rule. We, uh, you would think I wouldn't have to explicitly state that one, but we've had problems at our own home about this exact. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. And then, um, yeah, I, like one of the big ones that we run into with our approach because the kids you know, basically our agents unto themselves, like they have to decide and, and sort of navigate the pace and, and continue progressing. So when they get to the end of fifth grade math and it's still only, you know, November and they still have another, you know, however many months left of fifth grade, it's like, well, what do I do? Um, there's a chance that they might sit there and say, I don't want to learn any more math. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that scares a parent or an educator. It's like, well, that's not okay with me. You need to keep doing math. Like there's, we have 45 minutes budgeted for math each day. Like you're supposed to keep, you know, keep doing math or they want to do more math. And then it's like, well, you don't know that math, like hold up, you know, maybe slow, mm-hmm. slow down. So I think you're right. It's, it's interesting to talk about fear. 
one of the things as a coach listening to your brain right now, I would, <laughs> I would tell you to, to notice is like our minds want to solve all these problems, right? right. We want to jump ahead and anticipate the problem and then have a solution for it. And the truth is you can't possibly know what the solution to that is yet. Yeah. In, in most cases, because you're, you're not there yet. And it's just like if five years ago you thought, that you wanted to do what you're doing now, you didn't maybe know that podcasting even existed and you, we didn't know about zoom and right. like you never could have predicted how will I do all of that because you didn't, you weren't there yet to see the way. Right. So when my brain starts running ahead with like all these problems and how am I going to, what about this? What if that I like to remind myself, of course, I don't know that yet. There's people I'm going to meet. There's tools, there's resources, there's ways that I don't even know. My only job is to be operating in the emotions of like, this is amazing. I'm so grateful that I can be a part of it. So proud of these kids and so proud of what I've created. And then I go and I yeah. take the next step. I love it. Yeah. Free coaching from go. Bold New Mom. Anytime. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to add? And we're wrapping this up, but as we talk about, you know, blocks that we place on our children and the mental blocks, at, we, as we've discovered that we have them on ourselves as well. Is there anything like you'd like to wrap up with? Yeah, I think my final thought would be, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think the one of the main mistakes that we make um, with best of intention is that we send the message to kids that they're responsible for other people's feelings and other people are responsible for their feelings. And it's in subtle ways. Like we say, just be nice to grandma because you don't want to hurt her feelings. Right. And yeah. that's sending the message that you're responsible for grandma's feelings and you can control her feelings. And so instead I try to say, be nice to grandma because you're so nice. And doesn't it feel good to be nice to people? Right. Um, but grandma's going to decide if her feelings are hurt or not. She could end. be as cantankerous as she wants to be. And the truth is my kid could be rotten to any of their grandmas and they would still love yeah. it. <laughs> make it mean anything. Right. But that's not always the case. And there's times when they're going to just be their own selves and someone else is going to be offended. Right. We all take on that responsibility for each other's emotions. It's really a problem. I think yeah. we need to keep our own emotions and let other people. So it's just those little nuances in your language. Um, you know, when you're teaching your kids again about discipline rather than like, don't, don't be mean to your sister. How would you feel if she were mean to her? You know, we'd say that with best of intentions, but we're sending the wrong message. Interesting. So again, it's like, doesn't it feel so good to be nice? How does it feel when you're mad at her? Doesn't that feel terrible? Right. Do you like feeling that way? Did you know, like your dad said, did you know you could just stay in a peaceful place? Wouldn't that feel better? Yeah. So um, keeping the own ownership over emotions, I think, is something I spend a lot of time trying yeah. to Yeah, you own it. Yeah, I mean, we own our own, our own, and that's not just emotions, as I think well, some of these right. kids would look at me like, what? But it's like your, your very existence, like who you're yes. going to be, what you're going to accomplish, who you're going to become. And that's the best news ever. That's cool. Yeah. You can decide. Yeah. Wow, it's inspiring. Well, yeah. Jody, thank you so much for taking yeah, the time to join me. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Again, if you guys haven't checked this out, Bold New Mom, uh, you'll find it on Google. It's a great podcast, and you need to subscribe right now. So just take a minute and do that. Um, and thanks again for listening today. Um, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Prenda Podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this conversation or innovating in education. 
And if you want to follow my progress designing a new model for school, you can learn more at school.prenda.co.